When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. G'day folks and welcome to Australian UFO Sightings official podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and you're listening to Encounters Down Under. Here we invite guests on the show to tell us about their encounters with aliens and UFOs, where most of our episodes were streamed live from our Facebook page, which gave listeners the opportunity to ask questions to our guests regarding their encounter. If you have had an encounter and would like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch with us. You can send us a message through our Facebook page, Encounters Down Under, or send us an email at AustralianUFOSightings at Outlook.com.au. Be sure to join us on Facebook and share with your friends and family to help us grow, and hopefully encourage others to come forward with their encounter. If you're an iTunes listener and a fan of the show, why not give us that 5-star rating and review, and you could have your review featured on the podcast. But enough of that, let's get into what you've been waiting for. So kick back, relax with your favourite beverage, and enjoy the show. G'day folks and welcome back to another episode of Encounters Down Under. George Simpson, who is a UFO researcher, investigator and author of the new release book, Nothing on Radar, tells the story of one of Australia's greatest unsolved UFO mysteries about Fred Valentich, who was piloting a light aircraft and had an interaction with an unknown object and was never to be seen again. George also mentions a new development regarding the case, which could help get a possible lead. So welcome to the show, George. So look, mate, welcome to the show. No <laughs> Hey, hey, it's it's very look, thanks for the opportunity to uh, to talk about it. Um, I've I've been thinking about this case for forty four years because it happened went back when I was twenty. So I'm now sixty four years old. Uh, I was the same age as this pilot who took off from a rabbit airport. Now he he'd um, he'd he'd been for a joy flight with his dad. Um, his dad, my dad, took me on a joy flight at Moravian Airport. Um, uh, when I was a kid and uh, Fred's dad took him on a joy flight and he loved it so much he wanted to become a pilot so um, I was quite happy not to become a pilot but Fred decided that's what he wanted to do and he went and joined um, the air cadets at the sail base and he got his training down there he learned to fly and they were very impressed with him to the point that they thought that he'd probably end up being a flight instructor for them because he was so enthusiastic and so so good at flying and controlling the plane and stuff. 
but uh, academically, he didn't quite make it to join the Air Force, which is what he wanted to do, but he didn't get into the Air Force. So he decided, oh, well, um, I can still be a pilot. I'll just be a commercial pilot. And when I saw him, he was flying down to, straight towards the setting sun. Um, and it was just in, late in the day. Uh, it was in October, 21st of October, 1978. Um, and I saw the plane go past, and it was in the sunshine because it was up, you know, a couple of thousand feet up in the air. So I saw it in the sun, although I was in shadow um, by then. Um, anyway, he disappeared over the tree line. Um, and um, it was a really funny thing. Where we lived, we were very close to the airport. Uh, we saw planes and helicopters flying over all the time. You know, we weren't very far from Moravian Airport. <clears throat> and... Um, <clears throat> was nothing unusual to see a plane go past but for some reason a thought popped into my mind when i saw him go past and the thought was keep your eyes on that plane don't let don't keep watching it don't let go of the side of that plane it was just an unusual thought to pop into my mind the next day there was news reports on the radio that a plane had gone missing over bass Strait, and um I was wondering, you know, I wonder if that's the plane that I saw when I had that funny idea that I should have been watching that plane. It was impossible for me to have kept watching it. I didn't know where he was going and uh, he went behind the trees. Now they, they fly over and they're gone. That's it. But he had this very strange encounter. He, um, he flew down to Cape Otway and then he turned left due south from Cape Otway where the lighthouse is. And then he flew out, it would have been about 20, 25 more minutes from there, he would have reached King Island. And what he was basically doing was getting more hours up so he could get his commercial pilot's license credentials. All pilots do that, you know, they'll, they'll go on flights here and there just to um, increase their hours. And uh, <clears throat> then he started noticing something flying around him that didn't... Uh, he couldn't work out what it was and he, he contacted air services and he asked them is there any known aircraft below 5,000 he was flying at four and a half thousand feet um, and he wanted to know was there anything up there and the reply he got was oh, there's no known aircraft in your area and he said well I have seems to be like seems to me like four bright landing lights that was his first impression of it um, and so that was acknowledged. Yeah, okay. Uh, then later he said, "Oh, it's just flown over me, at least a thousand feet above." Um, and so that was acknowledged. And then they asked him, um, "What kind of aircraft is it?" And he said, "I cannot identify it." Um, he said, "I cannot affirm." He said, "It's." Um, he said, "As it flies past, it's a long shape." I cannot identify more than that. It's got such speed. And um, so this thing is flying around him. And eventually he he's about a th third to a half way across Bass Strait towards King Island at this point. So he's well away from the, from the land. And he started going around in this big circle. He says he's orbiting. What he means is he's just going around in a big circle. So he could keep looking around and see where this thing's gone. <laughs> What's it doing now? Where is it? He's no longer flying to King Island. He's concentrating on what the heck is this thing? So 
at that stage, he doesn't know what's going on. And he asks again, um, he says, is there such military aircraft? Because he's thinking this, he's thinking of a jet or something. There's nothing he knows that can go this fast and can dart around like this thing. And uh, it's not making much sense and he can't identify it. So um, at one point he says, he seems to be playing some sort of a game. And then he says, it's flying over me two, three times at a time at speeds I cannot identify. And you just think about that for a minute. What, what, what the heck is that? Yeah, what's that mean? What, yeah, two to three times at a time at speeds I can't identify. So he, he's completely bewildered about what this thing is and he's asking, uh, are there any military aircraft? And they said, no, there's nothing down here. And while this discussion's going on, the guys in that office, the same office where the air traffic advisors are, um, it wasn't an air traffic control situation because Fred was flying outside of um, right out. He wasn't in controlled airspace. Controlled airspace is where all the big jet planes go. But he was in uncontrolled airspace. So all he has access to is advice. Right? So they can just advise him what to do. And so, and there isn't much you can do at the end of a radio when you just, somebody's got a microphone in their hand. There's not a lot you can really, if you could need to help someone, you can't really help them if they're on the end of a microphone. Yeah. You know, uh, anyway, he, um, yeah, he's, uh, the, the situation just gets progressively worse and it's getting more and more distressful for the air traffic advisor, Steve Roby. And Roby is asking him all these intelligent questions, but, um, while the discussion was going on, somebody in that office contacted the radar operators and asked them, have you got any radar down that way? They've described, we've got a pilot going down there. He's uh, reporting something flying over him and he's at four and a half thousand feet. And he says, you haven't got anything on radar down there. And the radar guy says, no, nothing at all. Nothing that I would say was an aircraft. He said, I've got a couple of returns from a bit further north than that, but uh, um, they're not aircraft. They're, I wouldn't say that was aircraft. So, there was nothing showing up on radar. And that's why I called the book Nothing on Radar, because they checked at the time and there was nothing coming back on the radar. Um, so that's interesting. And um, and then uh, there was a few more minutes of not a lot. Sometimes Fred will get on the microphone and he's, at one point he said, um, it's not an aircraft, it's... And then he stopped and there's just open microphone and he doesn't actually say anything. And it's like he's trying to think of what it is he's looking, he's looking at, it and he can't come up even with words to describe it because it's very strange. Now, there was a fellow down there on, on holidays with his family at Cape Otway, and he, his hobby was to take photographs of the sunset, and that's the cover photo of the book. His name's Roy Manifold. He took these a series of six photos of the setting sun, and one of them has this strange object in it. And he didn't see it because he was looking at his watch and getting um, interval timers. Like he, he, had a, he was counting the seconds so that he was timing, evenly timing the exposures on the film. And he had the camera pointing at the sitting sun set on infinity. And he got this very strange object. And uh, it, it is a peculiar looking object. And uh, it's... It's just a very, very strange, unusual shape. 
it's got like static electricity around it on one side, like blue sparkling energy in the air. Uh, I've had several um, UFO investigations that I've done over the years um, where something like that has passed over and people have reported this very strange kind of sparkly, like the air is filled with little blue lights, like little blue sparkly lights, and that's in this photo. So I think that's significant. Especially in one um, photo as well. Yeah, I've what they did, what the public, the, uh, the, the press released a transcript of um, the actual conversation on the tape. Um, see, um, <clears throat> so at one point, um, let's see, Steve Roby, the air traffic advisor, has asked Fred, um, is it a large aircraft confirmed? And he said, uh, unknown due to the speed it's traveling. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? And he goes, there's no known aircraft in the vicinity. But it's approaching now due west towards me. And he says, he seems to be playing some sort of a game. He's flying two to three times at a, at speed, at a time at speeds I cannot identify. Um, and then Steve asked him, well, what's your actual level? He says, well, my level is four and a half thousand, four, five, zero, zero. And then she says, okay, and confirm you cannot identify the aircraft. And Fred says, yeah, affirmative. So then Steve says, okay, Roger, stand by. Well, there's not much more you can do, is there? Um, you know, <clears throat> so the air traffic advisor, Steve Roby, needs a bit more information. So he asks, can you describe this um, aircraft? <clears throat> and he says it's a long shape. I cannot identify more than that. It's got such speed. It's before me right now. And so he asks, how large would it be? Now, this is very interesting. Fred now says, instead of answering how large is this object, he says, it seems like it's chasing me. What I'm doing now is orbiting, and the thing is orbiting on top of me also. It's got a green light and sort of metallic-like. It's all shiny on the outside. That's a much clearer description of what, what he's encountering there. Um, then the microphone is open for about five seconds and you just hear this kind of static noise, like kind of a, uh, a, a staticky background sound. Um, and then he says, just vanished. And then he asks, would you know what kind of aircraft I've got? Is there certain military aircraft? That's about the third time he's said, are you sure there's no military aircraft around here? And then, so the aircraft traffic advisor, Steve, says, uh, can you confirm the aircraft has vanished? He says, say again, uh, is the aircraft still with you? Then he says, that's um, north. And because he's been orbiting, he's not sure where north is and south is. He's got to get his bearings. Yeah. He says, it's uh, north-south, um, approaching from the southwest. And so that's acknowledged. And then he, he gets on almost immediately, he says, uh, the engine is rough idling. I've got it set at 23.24 and the thing is coughing. There's a lot of information in that. Um, it's 23, 23 inches, inch pounds of pressure in the manifold and it's 24,000 RPM. That's flat chat. That's for a, a Cessna aircraft. That's running full bore flat chat, uh, but it's coughing. So there's some kind of interference going on there. The aircraft had been serviced that morning. 
and given a good bill of health, uh, oil changed and everything, and everything checked and serviced by aircraft mechanic Mike Hodges. Uh, I know him personally. He lives only a couple of k's from me here. He lives in Aspendale. Um, and he confirmed everything was okay and there was nothing wrong with the radio or anything. <clears throat> now, so at this point, engine, some sort of engine trouble has been reported. So, so the advisor, Steve, has said, well, what are your intentions? And I think Fred misinterpreted the question. He says, um, oh, my intentions are to go to King Island. Well, Steve knew he was going to King Island and he was already halfway there in the air. But the, the question is, well, look, you're, half, you're over the sea and you've got engine trouble. Are you going to go to the island to land or are you going to try to get back to the mainland to land? That's the question that Steve's really asking. But he just sort of brushes it off as, now look, I'm, I'm going to King Island. And then he says, that strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. It is hovering. It's not an aircraft. Right. And then just a few seconds, and Steve acknowledges that, Delta Sierra Juliet, which is the name of the aircraft. And just a few seconds later, Fred says, um, Delta Sierra Juliet, Melbourne. And then there's this strange click, clickety-clack metallic sound that goes for about 17 seconds. And it's off. It's over. There's no more communication. And Steve tries a couple of times to call him, and he gets no reply. No wreckage is found. They searched the sea for five days. They used Orion air search and rescue aircraft which they brought in from Adelaide, um, special Air Force aircraft, which have uh, deep sea scanning equipment, uh, avionics on board. The higher they, they fly, the, the further down they can see in the, into the sea, into the ocean. They didn't find a thing. Uh, there was an oil slick found on the sea surface, and so they got a sample, and it was marine diesel. So it's not connected to an aircraft. So, and then, of course, after that, the skeptics got involved, you know. Uh, they said, oh, yeah, look, you know, he, was, um, he wasn't a very good pilot, or he was a bit of a UFO buff. You know, he was interested in UFOs, as if that's got anything to do with it. And yeah. one of the great skeptics uh, actually accused him of having conspired with his dad to steal the aircraft. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's and cool. how does that, how's that going to look on your resume? You know, you want yeah. to be a commercial pilot. As if you're going to do that. You know, it's just preposterous. Yeah. Um, one of the guys in the Department of Air, it used to be called in those days, the Department of Air. <laughs> Sounds funny to me, but he, he, one of the uh, department officials was saying, oh, he, he could have very easily been flying inverted um, and got disorientated and crashed into the sea. Well, if you crash a Cessna into the sea from four and a half thousand feet, crash it into the sea, uh, you're going to get little bits of pieces break off and float. And something's going to drift to the shore. Nothing was found. Nothing was yeah. found. Uh, five years later, something was found at Flinders Island, which is about 300 kilometres east of where Fred disappeared. And it's upstream, the way the currents flow between Tasmania and Victoria. So this little piece of aluminium from a Cessna that was found on the beach on Flinders Island a couple of hundred metres from the airport runway at Flinders Island. <laughs> um, the, it, 
it had similar serial number, but it didn't match the missing plane. But it was considered that it could have been evidence that Fred's plane had gone down in the sea. Now, so this little piece of non-buoyant piece of aluminium air intake would have had to have floated against the Bass Strait current for five years to end up 300 k's upstream. It's more likely it's fallen off another plane. Yeah, that's a that's long small. time floating around not to be going anywhere special. It wasn't buoyant. It's, it's a little piece of air intake. There's nothing that makes it float. Right? It's just... It's a funny little air intake thing that I've taken a photo of one. Um, and it's riveted into the air, cow air intake cowling of a, of a Cessna, and they sometimes just rattle loose and fall. But it, it doesn't impair the aircraft's um, operation in any way at all, but sometimes they fall out and they get found. You know? But I wouldn't want to be hit in the head by one. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> even, if, even, if, even if it's only a piece of aluminium. Even but, still. Yeah, no, there was no evidence ever found that he'd gone into the sea. Now, the interesting thing was there isn't enough descent time. The skeptics have been saying that he went into a death spiral, he got disorientated and he spun around, he got out of control and he crashed into the drink. You crash a plane in the drink, something's going to float, something's going to be found. Yeah. It would have found, you know, even, even the fuel, aircraft fuel floats. Definitely. And water? Yeah, never found any of that. Um, and he just... He filled up before he left. I remember hearing the radio reports saying an aircraft has gone missing. It's believed he's run out of fuel. I remember hearing them say that on the radio. But he, he just refueled before he took off. And he was a very, um, very cautious guy. He, one of the things that the aircraft mechanic, Mike, said was that he had just serviced the plane and handed the keys over to Fred so Fred could take off. And Fred then wanted to go in and check everything. It's, it's just been done. It's just been, it's just all, everything's been ticked off on the page. Everything's correct. But Fred's getting in the plane before he, before he goes in the plane. He's going to check everything, make sure everything's right. Yeah. Because he wants to survive. You know. Um, they said he was suicidal. One of the theories that they had. Uh, Brian Jones, the guy who um, was in a documentary about it. Um, he had the job of going down and turning the lights on at King Island. They wondered why Fred hadn't ordered the lights to be turned on because he was going to, get, going to go down there. But there's no evidence that Fred was going to land on King Island. They just have to get their hours up. They fly along, they do a U-turn, they come back. They don't have to land. But there was a bit of a uh, discussion about, oh, you know, he was such a bad pilot, he didn't even tell them he was coming and he, they should turn the light, landing lights on. Nowadays, you fly over, the lights just come on, they pick up your plane, radio transponder, and they just turn on automatically. They didn't have that technology 44 years ago. Uh, so many stories about, <laughs> uh, about what he might have done. Some say he was going down to collect crayfish. And there's a bit of supporting evidence of that because he put four life jackets in the back of the plane. And somebody said, well, that was because one day he wanted to bring somebody back from King Island, but he wasn't allowed to take them because he didn't have life jackets. That's a regulation. You're flying over the sea, you've got to have life jackets. Yeah, fair enough. But the thing was, the owners of the aircraft don't like you carrying seafood in the plane because you end up, your plane ends up smelling like a fish shop. Yeah. Like the, like the fish market. So they don't like you doing that. So Fred would have had an esky in the back 
to pick up crayfish if he was going to land. And there were four flying jackets there to hide the esky. <laughs> See? That's yeah, what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty compelling either way. Uh, that sort of theory. Well, like, um, but I do have like someone asking you the questions that Simon's asked. Um, sure. The, Go ahead, yeah. The sound with the, the, at the end of the, the transmission there, like what do you think they sound like? What, what does it sound like? Basically, like, like well, what do they think this sound? <laughs> what do you think the sound at the end of the audio recording is, basically? I think it's the sound of the prop of the Cessna chopping into the side of some object that he's collided with in the air. I think there's been a mid-air collision and nothing has fallen from the air. And that's based on a report from um, a farmer who lived in Adelaide. He said the next day um, he saw a, he was doing some work on the Sunday morning and uh, there's a very unusual sound and he thought his equipment was playing up. Uh, so he, the harvesting gear on the tractors um, is driven by the tractor you can disconnect it he disconnected it because he was hearing this funny noise he thought he had bearing trouble on his equipment but, and he disconnected but the noise continued and he thought hang on what's going on here and he looked up and there was a big 90 foot diameter he put a 30 meter diameter object hovering above him this is down in adelaide the next morning and he thought when it was making a funny noise and it wasn't going very fast he thought this thing was at stalling speed. He didn't didn't realise it was an anti gravity thing. He just a lot of pilot a lot of um, farmers are pilots. They do their own crop dusting, so they fly planes and they know that you've got to have a certain airspeed or you drop. And this thing was basically hovering and not going fast enough to stay up, and making a screaming sound. So he's run to the side to get out from under it in case it comes down. And then he's noticed there's an airplane stuck to the outside of this, the outside rim of this thing. There's an airplane stuck on the oh, side, what? a whole aircraft. And that would account for nothing being found in the sea. If these, if they've flown too close together and the magnetic field of this object or gravitational field or whatever has attracted the aircraft and it's gone click like, like a moth stuck on a bumper bar of a truck or something, you know? Yep. Uh, the, the occupants of the big flying disc wouldn't necessarily even be aware that that it's that's the attachment has happened but the prop would still be going at 4500 rpm yeah um, yeah and uh it's, it, that's the chopping sound i believe that's the chopping sound now the thing is the pilot said on oh no, the uh, the farmer said the plane stuck against the side i look i, I made a, a mock-up uh, model to illustrate what I think the farmer described, right? So to give you an idea of what I think it would have looked like to oh, the yeah, farmer. Oh yeah, yeah, see now, yep. Right. Let's go to your then left a bit. A, there you go, yep. There's a, a plane stuck to the side of that flying thing there, and he could read the registration number of the plane. So he did that, and he, he scratched it into his tractor with a nail, and it was the the same number of the plane that went missing the day before in Melbourne. That's at, incredible. At dusk. So more as I've gone into this case, more and more evidence has come out. Well, th this story about the farmer came from Bill Chalker. If you, you know Bill Chalker? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've had him on the Chalker. podcast. He's, he'd be Australia's best known UFO researcher. Yeah. He's known worldwide. He's a, he's a, he's a terrific bloke. 
well, he, he actually told me about this. He rang me up and said, have I told you about this story that could have a bizarre connection to Valentich? And I said, no. Then he told me all about it, about the farmer seeing this disc hovering over his farm with a, a Cessna stuck on the side of it and you could read the registration number of the plane. And so it's very bizarre, but that it sort of answers the question why nothing was found in the sea. It does. You know, yeah. And, um, but what happened after that? Well, we don't know. Yeah. Because see, like, oh, every time like, I've heard about this story there, there's been nothing, like, like you said, like no mention of what, what happened afterwards or anything like that. And like, you just thrown yeah. a spin in the works there now with this farmer, with this Well, this is, Plane, yeah, this is all, that's just yeah I, I i'm hoping that with the release of this book somebody who's reading it will contact us and tell us we know who that farmer was because so, the ridicule factor is the thing that stops ufo research from getting anywhere yeah. um people are frightened of ridicule they do get ridiculed anyone says oh they've seen a ufo people just laugh at them this farmer would have told the story to the guy that bill chalker interviewed um, so it's a second-hand story, unfortunately. It's not direct. But yeah. um, the, the guy telling the story would have said, look, I saw this over my farm. I'll tell you the story, but you're not using my name. I know I'm, yeah. I'm running a business. I don't need the ridicule. Thanks very much. We don't know who he was. He, but he was a farmer who lived in South Australia, down uh, in the Riverina area, sort of between Adelaide and Keith sort of thing. Um, I, we, we haven't actually released the actual town it happened in um, because uh, we want to know what the person who tells us can tell us where were they when, and if they're in the right yeah. spot, I'll interview them. Right? Yeah, that's fair enough. That's a good Without, little tracking thing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to be tricked. Well, we've had a guy already say he was the farmer because they read my news. I, I used to write for the Ufology magazine. You might have seen my columns in the Ufology magazine over the years. Probably have some point, the yeah. ufologist yeah well this article got out this story got out and uh it gets even freakier do you want a bit more that's even freakier yeah this go is, for it mate book, look this is uh, mind-blowing at the moment it, it gets even freakier uh I, I wrote the article in the ufology magazine about the farmer and i'm trying to find who the farmer is and everything now the thing is the farmer said this ufo uh, the the Cessna was stuck to the side of a flying disc. Now, I've I've studied a lot of UFO reports over forty years. I've never come across that before. Well, this guy wrote, saw that, wrote to me. He said his parents said that rang a bell with them because they used to watch the Don Lane show, and Don Lane used to have uh, people that used to come on and talk about UFO cases quite regularly. There was one guy who was coming on regularly who used to do that. Uh, his name escapes me at the moment, but he was on all the time, always talking about UFO cases. Well, anyway, um, Don Lane actually interviewed Guido Valentich on the show once after Fred had gone missing. But also, um, they had this this guy who was a, a guest speaker. Um, he was an American diplomat of some kind, they thought, or, or military or a diplomat of somebody who was in Australia with his wife, and he said, we had a right to know what really happened to Fred Valentich. This is in the early 80s, like 82 or 83. And um, he said, we, we had a right to know what really happened. And he was going to come on TV, but he needed an armed escort to get from the hotel, him and his wife, from the hotel to Channel 9, 
then they'd go on the TV and they needed an armed escort to get to the airport to get on a plane to get back to America to get safely out of Australia because what they were going to tell us was so explosive and we had a right to know that their, their lives would be in danger. That was the spin. That was just to get you to watch. Mm. Right? Uh, and who was this guy? Well, uh, if I, I might be able to tell you off air who this guy was, but you would have heard of him. He was involved in the Watergate scandal. He was a CIA guy, uh, very dodgy character. He did time for his involvement in Watergate, and he, uh, he went on to have his own radio show in America and became kind of a cult hero. Anyway, yep. he went on Australian television and he told us that the flying disc that, that, uh, that what he said was they he's part of the at Pine Gap, the Americans have the base at Pine Gap. He said they have surveillance drones. They have big ones and little ones. They're electromagnetically propelled and driven and they're remote controlled and they can go anywhere in the world and they're controlled from Pine Gap. He said one day the big one came home, came back to base, and it had an air, it was a remote control thing, nobody on board, but it came back with an aircraft stuck on the side of it. And that's what rang true with these people that watched the TV show. They remembered hearing that, and that's what I'd written about what the farmer described. They, they saw the link. So they said, well, this guy went on, a, on TV to tell us it's okay, there were no, no alien spaceships involved. It was just our surveillance drone. And the pilot was actually still in the plane and he was okay. He's now part of our program because it's a top secret program. He's not allowed to talk to anyone about it. He's never going to see his family or anyone again. But he, you know, he'll, he'll work for us and he'll be fine. But there was no aliens, folks. You can forget about that. That just sounds like a massive yeah. cover-up. The CIA organised that. He flew out here with his wife. And then they, they made this story that they needed an armed escort to get to and from the airport. I mean, who's going to go shooting you? Yeah. You want to go on TV and tell something? Yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. But that's what happened. And that's what this reader of my, mag, my magazine article told me, that his parents remembered that. And so I got onto the Channel 9 archives, people. I said, look, I don't know the name of the guy, but there was a guy who was on the Donlane show who wanted an armed escort to go to be a guest on the show, but he didn't. He was an American. He had his wife with him. They wanted an armed escort, and Channel Nine provided everything for them. And he went on the Don Lane show, and they said, "Well, now we don't know what you're talking about." Um, but they tried to help. They were very helpful. Later, I found out the guy's name. I contacted them back. I said, "Oh, the show with blah blah. This the agent. Well, this called the CIA agent. The, the, the show that had the Don Lane show that had the CIA agent on it." And they said, "Who are you?" And why are you asking us this? The whole attitude changed. They didn't want to help. Yeah, right. As soon as I mentioned the guy's name, no, no, no. And then they actually said, no, he wasn't on the Don Lane show at all. Uh, we think he was on Willisie. Maybe you'll have to contact the Willisie show. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit of a cover That's up crazy. or something going on there, isn't it? Yeah. There's something very strange going on there. But anyway, uh, now the farmer, there's an end story to the farmer. He, he was very disturbed by what he saw, and he, he went into town, his local town, that afternoon, um, probably to buy, do some shopping and pay some bills or whatever, you know, the usual stuff. One of his neighbours saw him. He said, oh, I see you're doing a bit more crop crop dusting. He said, no. He said, oh, well, I saw that I was down your 
near the end of your paddock today, and I saw this is you got a Cessna parked down the end of your runway. He said, No, there's no Cessna at the end of my runway. He said, Yeah, there is, mate. I was down there this morning, I saw it there. I said, Oh, that's interesting. I'll I'll have a look when I get home. So he's gone home and he's gone through all the gates and well, the different gates, gateways to get up there, you know, all different paddocks are all locked and everything. And he goes up to where the runway is at the end, which is not right near the Murray River, that this is where the runway is. He said there was no aircraft there when he got there, but there were tyre marks in the grass. And at the end of the tyre marks, there was a, there was a whole lot of um, engine, sump oil, engine oil on the grass. Yeah, okay. So what do you think's happened then? So we don't know. <laughs> but his neighbour said there was a plane on his um, on, on the ground later, you know, later on in the day. Yeah, I'm just trying to and make he, sense of the, the sump oil. Like, wh why would you be doing an engine oil change in the middle of somewhere? Sump oil. Well, it could have been just leaking out because if that prop was spinning around and hitting the side of that object, the the pitch on those blades is um, it's all hydraulically operated. Yep. And if you smash into, into a garage wall or something with the, you know, you're going to damage the blades. You're going to have oil going everywhere. You know, but look, it's an interesting story, and um, that's an entire chapter in the book called "It's Called Laurie," like, named after uh, Laurie Ryder, who's the guy who told Bill the story, and Bill tape got a tape recording and recorded the whole conversation. Um, I think I might do an audio book version of this, and then everyone can hear Laurie talking. Uh, I'll be able to listen to him actually describing what the farmer told him. But I tried for six months or more to find out who the farmer was and i rang probably at least a dozen or more farm community people in new south wales around coonabarabran is where this happened where, where well where the report came from coonabarabran there was a lot of ufo sightings there that's where bill had gone and that's where he came upon the guy telling the story the farmer had moved up there from south australia because they had a bit of a, a lot of drought and stuff going on in the 80s and he moved up there because um, they're, they're having better luck up there. So people move around. But I'd like to find the tractor, you know, with the, the, the rego number scratched in it. I'd yeah. like to know the name of the farmer. I'd like to talk to the farmer and um, tell, you know, or the farmer may not be alive anymore, but there'll be family members who, re who might remember the story. You know, it'd be good to be able to confirm it, but... Yeah, you can't confirm it when you've got, you've got no name. You can't start an investigation when you've got yeah. no name to go. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, well, look, probably you know the podcast might get out there and might ring some bells for a few people there and you never know, yeah, might get something through, through this. So like, he's hoping anyway because like, this yeah. is going to add more to the mystery, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Let me know. I was good um, in 2013, uh, an English... Um, filming company contacted me they wanted to do a documentary on the vintage case and uh they were part of the science channel the history channel science channel and they came here and uh we ran around for three days filming which was really good and i met witnesses that i didn't even know who they were but they they had tracked them down and so i got to make new contacts and that was just good that's excellent but we didn't as a result of that show at the end of it that was when uh, dr haynes from nasa played that metallic sound at the end of the recording and that's on that tv show it's the actual sound um so that's that's out there uh, in public domain now and um uh 
as a result of hearing that, Bill Chalker then contacted me and told me about that farmer's story. So the, the story has slowly evolved, uh, but we still have no answers, you know? Yeah. Look, either way, like, you, the way you've just done this so far and, like, what you're telling us is absolutely mind-blowing and just adds so much more to this whole mystery because, like, like I said to you earlier, as far as mm. we knew, he's just trying to travel from Melbourne to Tasmania, King Island, and disappeared. Mm. That was it. <laughs> but now you're just throwing a whole spin in the works. Like, Obviously, like, I've had a little look into this as well myself over the time there, and there's always been speculation there where, like, as you said, like, you know, they try to steal the plane and such, and there's been reports yeah. there where some uh, light craft has landed somewhere nearby, mm. uh, indirectly, obviously, but obviously it could be him, it could be not. It's one of those mysteries, but, like, it depends on where you want to go with if you want to be a skeptic on the whole thing. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. If, if Fred was around, he would have been in contact with his father. I, I'm, I got to know his father really well. I started going to the UFO Society meetings, and Fred's father used to come along regularly. Uh, he was looking for answers. Never got the answers, but um, I got to know him pretty well. He was a, a really nice guy, and um, he came along to the, one of the meetings once with this metallic, um, the plaque, a memorial plaque uh, to his son's disappearance. That's down at Cape Otway. Um, there's a picture of that in the book too. Um, and I, at the time, I remember wondering, I wonder why he's doing that. He's just trying to get closure. You know, there's, you can't have a funeral service when you don't have a body. You know. Yeah. Um, it's still an open case. You know, even now, it's it's not solved. It's uh, it's still an open. It's it's an open verdict. It's um you know missing, presumed dead is the only official position that the government can take on it. Um, and it's a tragic case, uh, but it, there's a lot of websites where people talk about this stuff, and and they just they're just really, they're really really nasty. The things they say about Fred are just just disgusting. And um, I'm just hoping that by writing this book, I can um, get rid of some of the negativity around there, give the guy a chance. I'm trying to support him, you know, I'm trying to bat for Fred, you know, yeah, because he he can't he's not around to support himself. Um, I'll just see, tell you a bit about my conclusion page. I've just written um, a couple of things about some of the myths in that about the story. So he was not flying a routine cargo mission. Uh, unsolved mysteries. I oh, know one of the early shows, um, one of the early documentaries said that Fred was on a routine cargo mission. Uh, in search of said that. Well, no, he wasn't on a routine cargo mission. He wasn't even a commercial pilot yet. Um, I'm saying he did not stage his own disappearance. He was neither a drug user, dealer, or trafficker. He didn't even drink. Um, they never planned, he and his father never planned or attempted to steal DSJ or any other aircraft. He was not suicidal or depressed. He never suffered from depression. One of the theories was that, yeah, he was depressed, so he crashed the plane. You know, a spectacular suicide mission was what um, Brian Jones said. Well, now he was, he had a girlfriend. 
he just started going out with this girl they'd gone dancing together they'd won a dance competition somewhere he was in love with his girlfriend he he went down to king island he wanted to come back they were going to a party that night you know he he wasn't suicidal why would you be suicidal if you're in love yeah he's on top of the world basically he's he's on top of the world yeah um he was not spatially disorientated at any time while he was in contact with air services according to steve roby he was not didn't have any signs of spatial disorientation um when he got down to Cape Otway, it was, still wasn't dark. The sun had just set. But we get in in Melbourne um, in in October, late October. You've got very long twilight time periods. The sun the, the, it stays twilight for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, he was not flying upside down. If you fly a Cessna upside down, it fights you all the way. It um, it's designed to be like a training aircraft. You can't tell looking at it, but the 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 way it's designed, it'll automatically come back up the right way it yeah. fights you if you want to remain inverted it fights you all the way because it's got a dihedral arrangement in the geometry of the wings so the body hangs a tiny bit lower than the wingtips so it'll always try to self-correct yep yep i've flown um, a light plane there and then, yeah same effects there you know they said look you can basically just let go let go of the controls and the thing will just basically stay level so yeah. Yeah, and also if, if you were flying inverted, um everything falls up to the roof. <laughs> you're well, hanging by the seatbelt. You're gonna know. You know, you, you know you're upside down. Yeah, well he, he wasn't doing that. He was flying the plane one-handed, holding the microphone, talking to air services, flying the plane with one hand. He, he had no time to be doing upside down tricks, you know. Yeah. He, he wasn't doing that. Um he was no more of a UFO enthusiast than any other movie guy of 1978. That was the year Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out. And according to the guys who wrote the book, The Devil's Meridian, um, that was the last movie Fred saw. But I haven't been able to confirm that, but that's what they said in their book, so I've noted that in my book. Um, but everybody was talking about UFOs in 1978 because it was a Spielberg movie that showed families going out into the street to watch the ufos go again tonight you know because there were there was so much going on in america that didn't get into the news here but it was in the movie you know um so he wasn't a ufo nutter you know like they make out um he didn't necessarily plan to land on king island um he didn't use the word ufo or flying saucer or anything like that to describe what he was seeing um there was no evidence that it ever went in the water nothing was found the skeptics theories don't make any sense um and that photo that roy manifold took which is on the cover of the book was taken just minutes before fred flew in that area um and it's unaltered you can see the grain of the film in this um roy thought that they'd mucked up the his photos the photo lab and so he took the negative to kodak in which was australia's kodak headquarters were in coburg in those days and he went there showed them the negative they looked at it under a microscope they said there's nothing wrong with the film emulsion this is uh, something that you've captured on film it's just showing you what was out there can we have the negative what, and he said, oh, no, no, I'll, yeah he said, no, for further study he said no no i'll take my negative back thanks he said, glad he did yeah and he kept it otherwise this would be gone which this photo would be lost that's right you know um yeah, so what else can I say about that? Um, I don't think we can blame Fred for his own 
disappearance and um, too many negative things have been said about him anyway. And uh, I think anybody flying a plane in those circumstances at that point, at that time, would have undergone, would have had the same outcome, you know. So um, I'm in support of the guy that he was a sensible, intelligent guy. I mean, I was the same age as him. I didn't have a pilot's license in those days. He, <laughs> I still I have no intention of becoming a pilot. But that's what he did, and he was good at what he did. He was good at flying the plane. When he took his girlfriend up on the plane, he did some acrobatics with her on board, um, which is a bit scary. Um, <laughs> was he trying to make her throw up or something? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I don't know. He, he, he knew how to handle the plane, so he, he wasn't a novice. Um, there are more experienced people, or were, more experienced pilots than him, but um, he knew what he was doing. And he's merely reported what was happening yeah, and was never found. It's a shame because that's, that's the mystery, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much to it. People have been wanting to make a movie about it, but it's a very short story. It'd be a very short movie. Um, you know, guy gets in a plane, takes off, <laughs> see you later, never see him again. <laughs> End of story. It's not a very long story, but look, it's not a good story for the family. It's a long story for the family. Um, I've, met, I've met Frederick's grandmother is still alive. Oh, wow. She's about 95 or something. He's, his nonna is still alive, yeah. I met her. I met his mother and his father, his, one of his sisters and his brother. And, um, you know, for them, this is an open, this is just an ongoing unsolved mystery for them um, it's a tragedy for them and they they have no closure they still have no closure and uh, unfortunately the father of the pilot um, died in about 2000 and he went to his grave never knowing never having an answer yeah. not knowing because one of the things I was going to answer ask um, was like um, how's the family been coping over these years with like you know all this speculation mm. and that sort of stuff like how have they dealt with it over the years yeah well look uh, it's amazing that they have been able to deal with it because you know they used to get phone calls in the middle of the night from overseas people just wanted to talk to them about ufo cases <laughs> you'd, you'd take your phone off the hook wouldn't you yeah at night you know um yeah it's um they, they just want to get on with their lives they, they don't want any more documentaries made they don't want any films made you know um I had a bit of a chat to um, the missing pilot's mother um, a couple of years ago. I told her, look, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing this book about your son's disappearance. And, and she said, well, why, what are you doing that for? <laughs> you know, I, you just want to be, become famous or something, you know? And I said, no, no, look, I, I saw the plane on the day he disappeared and it's, it's bugged me ever since. And uh, I got involved in UFO research for years because of this. You know, I ran the, ended up running the Australian, the Victorian branch of the Australian UFO Research Network. I ran that for 14 years. And this was the base of it. You know, this case was the most Im important case. And it's historic. And, I, you know, I'm, I, I sort of have to write this book, you know. And she said, well, go ahead and write your book, you know, but um, don't, expect, <laughs> don't expect me to be um, happy about it, she said. But... Um, 
her daughter um, is, is pretty thrilled with the book, so I'm, I'm pleased about that. As long as somebody gets something positive out of it, um, as long as they're, and a lot of my friends who've um, who've read it, um, I think it's uh, pretty good. They quite like it. Um, it's. I'm hoping to. There's nothing like the first book written on the case, which was by um, a NASA scientist, Dr. Richard Haynes. He gets a chapter in the book about him. He's, he wrote three or four possible alternative scenarios to explain what had happened. And it, it was a very disappointing read. <laughs> and, you know, it's very dry and um, it was very hard to stay awake reading his book. You know, yeah, fair enough. It's out of print now. That's called Melbourne Episode, um, Case Study of a Missing Pilot. But um, And he actually said that he thought that this strange object in the photograph here might have been added to the photo after the photo was taken, which I write about that in the book here. I, I describe what he said and why I disagree with him. Um, so, yeah, I think this is one of the most amazing photos ever taken of a UFO. And one of the things that I've put in here, there's a sketch that um, there was a UFO sighting in 2001 in Juan Turner, and a lady contacted us when I was running the um, AU Fawn meetings, and um, so I asked her to do. I asked her to do a sketch of what what she had seen. And this is what she drew. This is her sketch. I'll try to get it in the right spot for you. Yep, that's perfect. And if you look at that, um, that's basically the same shape as the bottom of the thing on the front cover, isn't it? The bottom of it. Very similar. Same shape. Yeah. So she had this thing hovering over her back fence one night. She went out for to have a cigarette about 10 o'clock and there was this thing hovering over her back fence in Montana. She was so excited by having seen this object. She could tell it wasn't um, a conventional or nothing that we've made. You know, she, she's, she's, wow, they're here, <laughs> you know. And I said, who's here? She said, I saw this thing. This, this is amazing. Anyway. She spent the rest, the next few days, just scanning the skies. She just wanted to see it again. And what we didn't know at the time was it wasn't that far away. It ended up in Wandon 24 hours later. Somebody was ringing our hotline telling us about what they just saw. And it was the same thing they described as what she did, had 24 hours earlier. So in the 24 hours, it had only gone from Wanturna to Wandon, which is only, what, 20 kilometres or something. Now, if... The first person who did this sketch had known she would have headed off to Wandon to, to see it again. Yeah. But we didn't know. We just didn't know till later. So this and well, so there was um in the early nineties, there was a, a UFO sighting and it was all around Port Phillip Bay and it was waking people up, making a funny noise. And um, like the farmer said, it had this funny noise after the plane had contacted it, you see. So the, the plane propeller's gone into it and it's damaged the UFO because the guy described it was making a this funny funny sound, like there was something wrong with it. And there was a guy in Frankston who said he got woken up by this thing that sounded like it had a, a faulty bearing or something that made a funny noise and that woke him up. And there was a Channel 2 cameraman in Adelaide who was only 60 years old at the time, he and his brother woke up in the middle of the night and that was the day that Fred, the night of the day Fred disappeared, it was early in the morning, but in Adelaide. 
before the farmer saw it the next morning in the sunlight, this kid and his brother got woken up by this object and they looked out the window and there was this big circular object hovering over their street, over their house and the house across the road at the same time. It was big and it was making funny noise and that's what woke them up. That's interesting. And so Channel yeah. 2, yeah. It's like a, a corroboration of, of the report. Yeah, there's a bit of a train <laughs> effect going on. Yep. That's really so, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really good case. And uh, you, I've only got, I've, it's impossible to get publishers to even look at a book nowadays. So I just put it on Amazon, um, amazon.com.au. Uh, and you can order it and you can get it. They get it out to you in a couple of days. It's ridiculous how fast it comes out. Yeah, they do a good job with Amazon. <laughs> it's just amazing. It's, yeah, people said, why isn't it in a bookshop? It's the biggest bookshop in the world, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, look, that's absolutely amazing. Um, like, just the, like the, everything that sort of seems to be coming together now with what you're researched into now is just throwing so much more into the mystery. It's, it's so many more questions that, you know, yeah, want to be answered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but and, but we can't go anywhere if we don't have the name of the farmer. No, yeah. that's right. And it's, it's a shame. Like, I've always heard different stories there where people have claimed they've seen some sort of crafts hovering around the areas there on that same day, same night. Like I've got an in-law who claims they saw something flying in the sky because uh, they were driving uh, from New South Wales somewhere, I think, heading to Victoria right. at the time, and they yeah. seen something yeah. strange in the sky that same day yeah. and then the same reports of a flying plane there claiming UFOs right. and such like that. Yep, um, yep, you yep, get yep. to go and get him on there to go and have a talk with him about that. But be good you, to talk though. It'd be great. Yeah, because yeah. like, it just adds to the more to the mystery of what's happening. Like, you know, people are obviously like I said, people claim that they've seen something strange in the sky and relating to this whole encounter. But do you want to hear something really really freaky about this? A friend of mine was learning to fly back then when Fred was flying around. A mate of mine, he was a friend of a friend at school. He went to Mentone Grammar. He was learning to fly, and he hired a plane and flew my sister and a few of their friends. They all went down to Tasmania for a weekend, and that was the plane they flew in two years before it disappeared. Oh, true. So, and my sister borrowed my camera for that trip. So my camera went on that same plane, which later disappeared. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, it gets even crazier. The guy who owned the aeroplane was the local doctor in the area where I lived. The local doctor owned this aircraft. His name was Dr. Day, Dr. Cephas Day, and he lived in Reserve Road by Morris. Now, I had a, a neighbour who was, uh, as a mature age student, he went back to uni and he decided to become, change his career and get a better education. He went back to high school. Um, so he was the only kid when I was in high school, he was the only kid writing his, a kid riding his motorbike to school because he was a few years older than everybody else. And he then went to uni and he had all these parties every weekend, uni students everywhere. His mother moved out and he had the whole house and he had uni students living there and there was motorbikes in the front yard and loud music and it was a great big party atmosphere. And one of those guys was a guy called Lionel and he had a, a Norton 850 Commando and I was riding to motorbikes then I took photos of the Norton in, in Bob's front yard. Lionel turns out he's the son of the doctor who owned the aircraft that disappeared, the same aeroplane. Wow. So <laughs> I, I didn't know that. There's <laughs> just connections everywhere. My sister flew in the plane. I didn't. And my, my neighbours 
No, the family that owned the plane that disappeared. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a small world, isn't it? It, wants to it, be. Is, it is. It is. Now, there was a new, some new witnesses came in the end too. The night Fred disappeared, um, they were down at Sorrento. They owned a holiday house at Sorrento and um, they saw this weird object darting around over Cape Otway from Sorrento because you're just looking straight across the ocean. You can see, if you had binoculars, you could probably see King Island. Apart from the curvature of the earth, you might have to get up a bit higher to see it. But they could see the entire flight path that Fred took from Sorrento Back Beach. And they noticed this thing flying around. Now, he had a new girlfriend and he took her up to this lookout um, so they could um, have spend a little bit of time alone, a little bit of romantic time alone. And that light that we're watching that was flicking around over 30 kilometres away suddenly landed in front of them within a couple of hundred metres of them on the beach. It frightened them so much that they, they ran to the car and drove off. And they left the place. And in a few seconds, it was back over Cape Otway. It's just darting around so fast. So it's such long distances in, in the blink of an eye. It makes you wonder what and, this object was doing. Well, it was getting around. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But it's like, what's the purpose of darting around everywhere and landing no idea looking for something like, that's one of the biggest mysteries i suppose like when it comes to ufos and people seeing the crafts doing these zigzag maneuvers in the sky and stuff like that. like yeah yeah that's one of those things i've never figured out like what the purpose of that is and like well also that part of that could be optical illusion as well you know um some of the people have described the way these things operate uh, they have some kind of control over manipulating of gravity we know that gravity bends light these things can actually physically like disappear to your eyes even though they're still there and then they reappear in another spot and so you can't even be sure it's the same thing that you're looking at because there might be multiple of them if there's more than one flying around yep. um, they seem to go in and out of visual spectrum because of the gravitational field around them they can go out they can go invisible um a lot of the Westall witnesses have described that. One of them said she was watching this thing flying around and it would disappear and then reappear and disappear and reappear. Um, so that's something we can't do. <laughs> the Westall case is a very, very interesting case as well. You're it probably is. aware of the Westall case. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so that, that's a very fascinating case. Maybe I should do a book on the Westall case. Yeah, now that absolutely. I've one. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I should. Uh, uh, there's, there's I know a, a lot of witnesses. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like you know, uh, like with um, obviously Fred's mother saying like you know you're trying to be famous there, trying to write this book and whatnot. There, there's not really much fame to gain from these books. No. Um, you know, it's and that's the thing. Like um, people sort of don't understand too. I suppose like you're not out here when you're doing researching and stuff like you're not there to go and make fame or money or something like. Like there's not a lot of money to make from it. Um, yeah, it's definitely not. You can't make a living out of it. I've got a full-time job. Well, not I work part-time, but uh, you know I go to work every week. Um, I sell digital cameras. I work for Ted's Cameras. Okay. So Probably I love my job. Deal. I like I like working in re I like working in retail, and I've always been into photography and cameras and stuff. Um, I was actually the photographic consultant for Victorian UFO Research Society. So 
in their books when I was on the committee, it said photographic officer. What's a photographic officer? Gee, I don't know. But I was a photographic consultant. So if they had photos come in, I could tell them if they were fake or not, that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's, that's what I've always done. Um, and I've got an electronics background and I've never done anything academic before. So writing this book is the first time I've ever tried to write a book. I was writing articles, though, for the Ufologist magazine. Yeah. Uh, and until they closed that magazine's no not non-existent anymore it's now defunct just like the the organizations i've been part of they know they've come and gone these things do that they come and go but um yeah one of the interesting things about writing is that um a writer can write something and once it's printed um and it's a hard copy anyone can pick it up and read it and that gives them access to your thoughts and in a hundred years' time, you know, you're long gone, but they can still look into what you were thinking at the time. Yeah. There's no other medium that you can do that with, really. No, because like even the internet has its own lifespan, um, you know, like because everything's yeah. all based on runoff servers there where books will pretty much outlast a server, basically, where all the information is held onto unless it just continuously gets transferred through the internet, basically. But otherwise... What, 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 yeah, I, I may do a Kindle. I'm probably going to do a Kindle version of the book. Okay. As well, so people, a lot, a lot of people want to get the hard copy, but they can do that. I'll probably do a Kindle one. Um, I'm, I'm also considering doing an audio version of it too, because we've got various interviews and things that would make it an interesting little audio story. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that'd be good. I'd like to get Sam Neil to to read the book. <laughs> that'd be good. <laughs> that'd be awesome. He's got an awesome voice for it. He'd be great. But um, I, I don't know him. Um, I, I do have a family connection, though, uh, some people that make films up in Queensland. And uh, do you know that movie Daybreakers? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vampire, yeah, vampire one. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, well, the, the guys who made that movie, uh, one of them's married to my niece. Oh, wow. So um, I might be able to get uh, some assistance in that regard. Yeah, definitely. Guys. Oh, look, do it. By all means, that's going to be yeah. awesome. Yeah. But they might make a movie out of it. You never know. That's not my point. My point is this guy needs to be protected. This pilot, a terrible thing happened to him and people are attacking him. And yeah. I'm not impressed with people attacking the poor guy. He can't defend himself. So stuff that. I'm not going to stand for that. Yeah. And basically that's one of the things like why I do this podcast too is basically to try and put the reality out there and pe get mm. people on, these, on the show here to talk about their experiences there, set the reality that these things are out there, these things are happening. Basically just to, you know realization that's and people it's need a, to understand that that's all it needs it's a new era we are in a new era now we've got the pentagon admitting that uaps are real they see them every time they go up and do exercises they treat them seriously they have to because they're in their airspace yep and they're not ours and they're not russian and they're not chinese no. these things outperform anything we have they are coming from somewhere we don't know where it's a game it's a completely new new era that we are now in i'm glad we're here it's taken a bloody long time i mean roswell happened 70 years ago yeah 75 years ago um and i've always accepted that that really happened because the, oh, the people that were involved yeah yeah it's one of the greatest one of the first ufo things i've read about and really took seriously was the roswell the roswell incident by charles berlitz um so yeah, 
it's interesting, a new era. We've got to try treat the subject seriously and uh, yeah. I think I just feel really, more yeah. people need to be taken seriously on this whole matter, you know, because the stigma that's still attached to it, um, it even though it's, it's slowly going, but it's still so it, dark it's and no, you know, it's, it's horrible. It's no longer a laughing matter. It's no, no longer a laughing situation. Um, I, I use public transport a fair bit and I had a, a UFO jacket on and some guy just tapped me on the shoulder and said, is, is there really something to that? Is that really? I said, yeah, there, there is. Check it out. Now that the, the Pentagon have admitted it, they treat it seriously. They study it. You know, if somebody tells you they've seen a, a, something that they can't explain, something weird, don't laugh at them. You know, listen to them. Very simple thing to do, just to listen to people's uh, listen to their story. You might learn something. <laughs> well, know, that's it, you know. Because like, like, I run the Australian UFO sightings page, and there's always a lot of people yep. there who want to try and put people down on their sightings, their encounters, their pictures. Like a lot of obviously, a lot of things do get misidentified, and a couple of bit of flack for that. But like you know, not everyone's aware of the illusions that cameras can create, or you know, vice versa, what technologies out there. Like you know, people still think Starlink's a UFO coming across. Um, but right. the idea is not yeah. to go and ridicule someone just because they aren't aware of what it is. It's to help educate no. them, make them realize, yeah. okay, not everything yeah. is a UFO, but you know there are UFOs out there that we can't explain, and that's yeah. the basically the message we need to try and get across. You, you sometimes do get this psychological side effect though of having a good sighting, like this lady who made that sketch in Monterna. Um, there's a possibility that she was so enthralled by the experience she wanted to see another one. The chances are, if a plane flew over, she would probably think it was another UFO. You know, yeah. Betty Hill did that. You know, Betty Hill was everything that flew over was a UFO from then on, because she'd had that unusual experience. You know, the Betty and Barney Hill case. Yeah, the classic cases are amazing. Some of the UFO cases over the years have been fascinating. You know, but the Roswell, Betty and Barney Hill. That was the first abduction case that was ever reported. Yeah, and it was ha handled correctly. You know. But by a psychiatrist, you know, there's not much you can ridicule there. Uh, the Lon Lonnie Zamora case, very, very serious, interesting case. You know, the thing flew off against the wind. So, and, and the official explanation was it was a balloon. Against yeah, good the luck wind. With that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the David Fravor case, this TikTok thing, David yep. Fravor, fascinating stuff. Um, I support Bob Lazar. I believe he's telling the truth. All these yep, people absolutely. that say Bob Lazar's lying, there's something wrong with the people that say he's lying. If he was lying, he, he wouldn't be avoiding the public like he does. He just wants to get on with his life and be a yeah. scientist, you know. Um, but what you can learn from what he says is fascinating. I can't understand why Stan Friedman attacked Lazar so much. Stan Friedman had something wrong with him. No. Look, I was in email contact with Stanton Friedman for probably 30 years. And about two years ago, the last thing I, I posted to Stanton Friedman was, hey, Stan, it's time to stop being a jerk to Bob Lazar. You know, he is telling the truth. You've got to stop doing this. Um, and I, he never replied to me. And then I heard that he, he died uh, a month or two after that. But he was being a jerk. He wasn't opening his eyes. He, wasn't, he wouldn't let himself... Um, he was he was sour grapes. He, he he was really pissed off that he he wasn't part of the program that Bob Lazar was, and, and, and he never got over that. Just the fact that he couldn't find Bob's uh, educational 
credentials. You know, Bob, Bob was involved in some really, really dodgy top secret government project that um, that even now he won't talk about it because it's it's it, it was basically the government was doing something illegal and they were getting Bob to help them. And so he couldn't talk about it. And so they had to get rid of all of his records because they might have to get rid of him too. Yeah. Is that serious? You uh, couldn't, I don't know why, but um, Friedman just could not get his head around that. Anyway. Well, when you look at it too, like Bob Lazar hasn't really made much money out of it. He's not trying to monetize from it, basically. He, whatever money he has made, he's donated it to universities and such like. He's not that's trying right, to make a career right. out of it. So, no, he hasn't. He hasn't. No, he, anyway, he runs United Nuclear. Yeah, anyone who wants business, to be credible won't try to monetize yeah. that or something like that. No, that's right. That's right. I, I did buy his, he's written a biography and I've read it and it's great. It's fantastic. And that new documentary about him, it was done by, uh, Jam was it Corbell? Um, Jamie Corbell, wasn't it? Yeah, Jeremy Corbell, yep. Jer Jeremy Corbell. Uh, fantastic documentary with the fireflies and everything in it. You know, you yep. would have seen it. Brilliant, brilliant. It's great. With his... Uh, the bicycle with the jet engine on it. Oh yeah, how's that ingenuity? It's <laughs> amazing. You don't rev it up, you know. I don't want you to blow the engine up. It's five thousand dollars, you know. If you break my engine, yeah, hilarious. No, look. And, you know he's he's got his own. He's made, making his own particle particle accelerator at home, just like all scientists do, you know. Yeah, his own particle accelerator. <laughs> like a boy genius, basically. What a, <laughs> what, a what a character. But yeah, look, yeah, there's so much, so much out there that like you know being covered up over the years, and obviously like what there's been a lot of things that've been covered up, falsified, you know, trying to misidentify, um, uh, you know, like you know, got whistleblowers going to be coming out there telling the truth of stuff that they have been covering up in the years. That's well, so they're claiming mm. anyway. Um, and uh, was it recently they're going to be starting like uh, getting a amenity? Is that the right amenity? Is that the right word for it? I think. Uh, amnesty amnesty that's the one you know they're going to be getting yeah, that yeah, yeah. um so we're you know they can't be crucified they for, can't be prosecuted prosecuted they can't be prosecuted for. if they if they release um well that was part of the um stephen greer's disclosure project he got a lawyer involved um and he said they were they were illegally forced um and coerced into silence and so, because that's illegal, they are under no no legal bounds to remain silent. Yeah, I'm not really sure on that Legally. because if, um, there is something in there when they're in their oath when they do join into the secret services or whatever they're into hmm. that they mm -hmm. basically have to lie to not expose the truth. Um, there is something yeah. there. Like obviously, you're not going to go and blurt out and tell the truth. They're going, oh yeah, you know. We've got these nukes we're going to send over here or, you know, that sort of stuff. You know, they're not going to tell you about it. If someone asks the questions, they're going to lie about it. So hmm. it's under their oath, I find, and it's not really illegal in that sense. I don't feel. I don't feel. Yeah, well, they, they've found some kind of a loophole where the people that got up and spoke at that disclosure conference in 2001, they, they, had, um, they had legal immunity from prosecution because the way that they were sworn to secrecy was done illegally 
and that, that sort of cancelled out the contract. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but that's how, how it was put, yeah. So very interesting stuff, yeah. It is a new era. It's, a, it's good to be in a new era where the stuff is coming out, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy about it. It's good. Yeah, look, honestly, look, I hope that whatever career did find that loophole and that sort of stuff, and it does actually work in our favour. Because obviously we yeah. want this information out there. We want the truth out there. Oh. That's what we've been fighting it for all these years to try and get this information. And of course, people who have been having these experiences, they're going to have some sort of redemption on them where they're going to be no longer classed as a crazy person on drugs or whatever, you know? It's it's fantastic. It's, be, it's a good thing. Yeah. All these skeptics keep on saying, um, you know, eyewitness testimony is not very reliable. I, I, I disagree with that. The, um, it's one of the tenets of law is that, you know, if somebody sees somebody doing something that, you know, they can be prosecuted. Yeah. So, you know, eyewitness testimony, I think people are very reliable describing what they see. They're very good. I think people are very good at describing <clears throat> and, and recognizing something that's not the usual when they see it. So anyway, look, we want to find out who the farmer was. All right. So <laughs> bring that on. We need we need to find out who the farmer was uh, who who saw that object, and uh, that'd be really interesting to find out. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, mate. Talking to you, Anthony. Yeah, it's no, good. it's been absolutely great, mate. And yeah, we've punched up nearly an hour and a half there. So, mate, we could have kept going yeah. for hours with this sort of stuff and just gone through like, a whole coverage of stuff there. But um, we look, we've probably, got um, um, made the main focus here on yeah. Fred Valinch. Um, yeah, Valinch. Yeah. Valinch. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. We can't get his name right for some reason. But oh, look, the Americans, the Americans call them Valentich. It's not tick. It's titch. Look, mate, look, um, again, good. look, mate, if um, are you open to people coming and contacting you in regards to their encounters still, if you're sort of researching into sort of stuff and obviously if someone does find this farmer, where how they want to contact you basically? Well, yeah, yeah. Look, um, how, how would you contact me? Um, Facebook's probably the best. Oh, look, my email address. I can give you my email. I yep, guess. I'll Get throw that into the me. show notes there. Yeah, it's um. Just send send it through to uh, through my messenger there, mate, and I'll put it to the show notes there, and people can just go and get you. From there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you can do put it on there. Good stuff. Yeah, that's the best way. Just email me. Yeah. Yep. No worries. That's no, awesome. Um, you still doing it like you researching stuff like that, obviously your investigations and whatnot. Well, it's something you, once you start, you can't really stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, although you know, I work. I work, you know, during the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working four days a week. I'm sort of semi-retired, I guess, um, but I work four days a week. And uh, it's just always going to be an interest of mine, for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I stopped running the meetings about five or six years ago because everything's online now. You don't need to run meetings anymore to show people the information. They can just look it up yeah. themselves, you know. So that's this is a revolution. The technical revolution has caught up with everything. Um, it's great to be able to have a meeting. Like, you know, we're having a one-on-one -on -one meeting here. It's yeah. like we're sitting in a cafe. The only thing missing is a cup of coffee, you know? <laughs> that's it. Um, that's the only thing missing. Um, so you don't have to travel anymore, you know? You don't have to go to all that expense or all the danger of travel too, you know? It's, yeah. No, Technology is an amazing thing. Good. That's where it's gotten to these days. And it's <clears throat> absolutely fantastic. <clears throat> but, yeah, look, mate, look. Absolutely fantastic to have you on the show, mate. Thank you very much for giving us your time here, mate. I'd love to get you back on the show at some point if you're happy to come on and um, talk more about your oh, experiences there and over the years and researching this whole my, topic. It's my, my pleasure. Look, I'm doing another podcast tomorrow night, um, but 
it won't be about the Fletcher's case, it's about another case, about a guy who was riding a motorbike into Victoria in 1967 and saw a thing land and he stopped his motorbike and, and he saw some creatures get out of it. And it's, it's an audio recording. It's a really good interview with him talking about it, recorded back in 1967 or 68. We've got the audio. Okay. Yeah, so we're going to be doing that tomorrow night. So is it an Australian podcast? I'm interested in. Uh, yeah, it's going to be on um, Ben Hurl's program. You know Ben Hurl? He's I think I've heard him somewhere. Where is Victorian oh, UFO Action for UFOA. He's in um, Bensdale. Yeah, okay. But Yeah, but uh, it's just one of those things, you know. Um, I'm just really thrilled that it's being taken seriously now. You know, it's not the ridicule days are over. So, yeah, we... If anybody knows who the farmer was, please let us know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or even any more details or information on the whole encounter altogether. Yeah. People don't need to fear ridicule anymore because there's there's far fewer people around that are going to laugh nowadays. People realise it's a big universe. I mean, even Seth Shostek, the greatest sceptic, the, the guy who runs SETI, is now telling us there are more planets than there are stars. Yeah. Right? It's amazing. So, really. yeah. You know, that James amazing. Webb is picking up so much out there. It's incredible. Oh, those pictures are amazing, aren't they? They are. Um, unfortunately, like, it's not designed to go and pick up life, but still, it's just showing so much more that's out there that that we even know of this anymore. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. Obviously, lot, more than what Hubble details. picked up. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, right, mate, yeah, look, up there. Good yeah, talk mate, to you. No, absolutely, mate. Fantastic having you on, mate. I'll talk to you soon. No worries. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers. Yeah. And that will do it, folks, for this episode of Encounters Down Under. I hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, you can also get involved in the show by joining the Facebook page and getting in on the live streams. Also, please be sure to share with your friends and family to help us grow and potentially find our next guest on the show. If you or you know someone who has had an encounter, please get in touch with me through our Facebook page via Messenger or email at AustralianUFOSightings at Outlook.com.au. I look forward to seeing you on the next Encounter Down Under. Hooroo!